today it's I'm just encouraged to be together and to see all see all and I thought it was interesting too as we heard some of the of the stories from the, the other churches with new leaders in New England, uh, several spoke about the idea of spiritual formation, <laughs> which for me a couple of years ago I, I didn't know what that was, and uh, now it's something I think is super important. So and in fact we're going to talk about an aspect of it today. But then also, you know, what stirs me is that uh, the North Point Church is getting planted in Fitchburg. And so, um, you know, we work closely or semi-closely with the Worcester Church with Tom and Sidney Caswell. In fact, they'll be up in a few weeks to preach to us. And they're planting that church, which is 30-ish disciples uh, in, a, in a town, which is a lot like us. You know, it's very similar to us. And uh, so I, I think it's a great... It could be a great partnership for us to be to share with that. And we know we know a few of the people there in Fitchburg, so it was exciting to hear that and, and fun too, you know. But um, today I want to talk about teach. When I look over, it's different than I thought. Um, teach me to pray. Now, when you read this passage in Luke, it's real easy to go, okay, they saw Jesus praying and. Somehow they asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. Right? Have you ever read this passage and used and thought of that? And break it down, you know, in the verses that follow, we call the Lord's Prayer, and sort of analyze, well, these are some things that you should do when you pray. All good. But I would even propose that perhaps, since it, when you look at Luke, praying is all over Luke. You know, it's praying is a lot. Of, they've seen Jesus pray a lot before they get to Luke 11. So I'm not really believing in their saying, oh gosh, we don't know how to pray. I mean, they're raised Jewish. They pray, they pray a lot. <clears throat> um, they even fasted at least once a year. Uh, and uh, maybe what they were saying was, Lord, teach us to pray. To me, that's, for me, that's a, you know, and that's why I titled this, Teach Me to Pray. Because that's really what I want to talk about today is, Lord, can you teach me to pray? Can I have that... I mean, am I not the only one? Am I the only one that has sometimes a motivation problem praying? You know, isn't it easier to look at social media or even maybe just read your Bible than sometimes to pray to God? You know, I mean, after all, uh, I'm a guy, and men, we just don't like talking to people sometimes, like a lot of times. Uh, women, maybe not so much. But uh, so even that idea of, of having a conversation with God can be challenging, it can be hard, it can be something that will go, oh yeah, that's exactly what I need to do. You know, so I had a chance this summer to reflect on it uh, while I was on my trip to Alaska. And so I'll share a little bit about that. You know, there is, I had some great memories on this trip. You know, so my friend Craig from Australia met me in, uh, in uh, Montana and we rode to the Arctic Ocean in Alaska and back uh, to uh, Vermont. He, he took off and left me and to go back to L.A. somewhere the end. And when I think about the trip, it was a great trip. You know, here in the picture you see the Alaska side, you see the, uh, the I think it's the Matanuska Glacier, we saw the Arctic Ocean. I would say 99.5% of the trip was just absolutely awesome. It's incredible. And isn't that somewhat the relationship with, you know, our relationship with God? 99% of the time, it's just awesome. Okay, 
maybe it's 90%, maybe it's 80%, you know, however you, you know, if you're a glass half full person, maybe it's 52%, you know, but the majority, we go, God, you made a great creation, you made wonderful people, it's beautiful. I mean, we do live in Vermont, so that bumps it up at least 10 points, you know, it, it's more beautiful here than it is in other places. And our relationship with that part of relationship with God, that's pretty easy. You know, we hear Larry singing songs, we do stuff, it's like, oh, this is great, this is, this is an enjoyable part of it. But then on my trip, there was some other part. So, um, you know, I had this, I had this fear, uh, sort of a panic attack level thing of high, high places and bridges. And it comes and goes a bit. It's gotten worse as I've gotten older because, I mean, after all, I was a pilot, a parachutist. You know, I've done a lot of, you know, climb mountains and done stuff. <clears throat> but anybody that's been hiking with me knows I do not like to be around the edge of anything. And it really gets exacerbated when it's a big, long bridge. And they, they make these metal grades on there. I told this story to some. Is, and so he bikes tends to wobble. In fact, it's so funny. They put up signs saying, wobble. And then, of course, on the way to Alaska, I had to cross over this Pestilent Lake Bridge, which is over 1,900 feet long, seven sections of metal grade bridge with semi-trucks coming at you from time to time, face on. So for me, that that's like 0.4%. That's things that I, I don't really like. I mean, I can I can tolerate you know I can tolerate going over bridges. You know, I, I have not yet died on one. I have not yet crashed on one. You know, I just don't like them, right? And so we have things spiritually we just don't like. I mean, sometimes God does things that we don't like. You know, we go, well, God, why did you do this? Why is that happening? You know, it's you know, and generally what I do is I just don't tell people about that part of the story. Like the 99.5% is just great, and there was this other stuff, you know. And that can be sometimes my relationship with God, too. It's like, oh, God's everything's great. There's these things that I'm sort of struggling with, but hey, it's okay, it'll be good. And then there's this other 0.1%, and these aren't my pictures, because you know, when, when you're in that, that 0.4, that 0.1%, you're not taking pictures. <laughs> like, I did not take a picture of the metal bridge. This is actually pretty pretty wimpy, these this mud that they saw. But this this here is called on the left is one that they call roller coaster hill. It's like nineteen percent grade and it's got a couple inches of mud in it. And the way you the way you deal with that is you actually ride about you come down the hills about twenty five or thirty miles an hour so that when it turns at the bottom you don't slide out. And as soon as you get through the turn, you you shift up and you floor it. And you go up the hill at about fifty miles an hour. Because anything less, and you start to slide and drift and fall down in the mud. And so it's, it's terrifying. Uh, and there was one section, we went for about two miles, where the mud was about six inches deep. And we talked to some people later. A lot of people turned around at that point. That was a little beyond the halfway point north. And we got to the grade going up to the big pass, and it was six inches deep of mud. And uh, it, was, it was a semi-tractor trailer, and they were going 10 miles an hour. Remember I told you the trick to go in, in mud is to go 50 miles an hour? Yeah. So when you go 10 miles an hour, it just starts to go this. And so, you know, all I can imagine is me wiping out and getting run over by a semi-truck. You know, or, you know, whatever. And to me, that becomes, that's a panic. Like, that's not just, oh, I'm afraid of this. That's like, I'm going to die. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, and so at those points... Uh, that's where you're, you know, I'm praying to God, God, save me in this. I, I you know, I, I need you right now, right here, be with me, you know. If you're going to sing, be with me, Lord, that's when you start singing it right. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, other times in the mud, it was, 
you know, God, you said you'd never forsake me. Uh, I'm, I'm really calling that chip in right now. I need you to be right here right now <laughs> with me. And, uh, you know, I came up with a saying over the summer that was, oh, yeah, here's the other part of it is, going up to Alaska, there's only one way up for all the bad, nasty, long bridges and mud and gook. And so when you're up in the Arctic Ocean at the top, you have to come back down through all that same junk that you just went through. Which, you know, you have two choices. You can really get afraid, or you can decide to turn it over to God. And I think that's sometimes when we go through our life, we've hit the, the nice stuff. That's good. That's, that's easy to recall. But then we've had the, the uh, things that make us nervous, and we've had the things that make us cry. They're, they're awful. And we know they're coming again. We know they're coming back. And I just had to pray. You know, I, I came with this and says, God's in control of everything that I'm afraid of. And so it made me think about, you know, on those silly bridges, with the, every little piece of metal God had it made. He was in control of all that. He's actually in control of everything that I know how to do, like all the skills that I have. He, he, he orchestrated that. He'll be in control of which trucks are coming at me. He'll be in control if I wipe out in the mud, you know, what happens there. And so uh, I still had to pray. I still felt it. But the more I started to dig and realize anything that I'm thinking about, worrying about, concerned about, God has that in control as well. He's in charge of that. Um, You know, he had every bridge. I forgot to mention gravel. When they do road construction, they they just rip it up and put in, you know, six inches deep of gravel. For a couple of miles, and in your motorhome, maybe or in your truck, maybe that's a little bit annoying because you bust some windows occasionally. A motorcycle just goes like this the whole way, you know. And, and you know, in my imagination, goes, "I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die," you know. And um, and so, uh, yeah. So, and then knowing it was coming, I literally have looked at a map on the GPS. Oh, look, 100 miles from now, I get to go across the Tesla Lake Bridge. <laughs> and uh, I've got to pray about that. I've got to think about that. I've got to sort of bring it in. You know, because praying, I think one way to think about praying is it's your own experimental lab. You know, God has put things in the Bible to instruct us. He's taught us about how to pray. He's given us examples of it. I was sharing last Sunday a bit about how the interactions that Jesus has with people, when you think about it, Jesus is God in the flesh. So when a person goes and asks Jesus for something, it's a person like you or me asking God for something, and we get to actually see God's response. So we get to hear how God responds to a request, a prayer. And so the Gospels then become a, a laboratory for us to say, oh, you know, when that happened, God chose to do this. Uh, you know, we might think, well, you know, does it matter if I pray out loud? Let's just look in the Bible. Do people pray out loud? Did Jesus pray out loud? Did Jesus have, and we'll hit it here in a minute, yes. Well, then maybe in your laboratory of prayer, you might try praying out loud, begging God, going to him. I certainly was praying out loud uh, on the times when I was deathly afraid here, and surprisingly enough, on the intercom was my buddy Craig, and sometimes I was, you know, maybe I was tense, but and praying, you know, and it's like, oh, you're praying, you know, it's like you're afraid of this. I'm afraid of this. How come? It's, you, you, you're not having a problem. Now. Well, you know, having, having a problem and having a problem in my heart are two different things. Sometimes I can put on a good face outside and be that person who makes it through the difficult time, but it's not uh, not necessarily it doesn't necessarily show on the outside. Just remember, I'm trying to hide it from God. I'm trying to say, God, oh, I can do this. I trust you. 
I have faith here. It'll all be okay. Um, oh, let's see here. You know, and when I think about interactions, you know, those interactions, it was like, he, dealt, he did things like, you know, does it work for, for the spiritual people in the Bible? I tell you, those examples, you know, did they fast? Did they pray? Maybe I should try that. Did they really open their hearts up to God and share what they were asked for help? That might be something to try. Um, did people pray for each other? You get the idea. You know, the Bible has lots of great examples to learn how did people pray and how did they interact with God. You know, it's, it's really easy, I think, to let him be in charge of the beautiful stuff. Know, stuff that's going well, and you know, and uh, we can just take on it. But then sometimes they go, well, yeah, but I'll work my way through the hard stuff, you know. So you think about, I'm just jotting down what are some hard stuff things, you know. So some things that cross my mind is, will I or, or someone that's important to me, you know, friend, child, family member, make it through or avoid a health challenge? Will they survive this? Is this cancer going to take them out? Is this illness that my child has going to impact their whole life? Um, is there a way out of this? You know, have I done enough on my job that I'm either I'm applying for or working at or I'm studying for that uh, it's going to work out, that I'm going to be approved at work or at school? You know, will I have enough money to, to move to that new place, replace my old car, pay for the needs of my kids, you know, put food on the table? You know, put your own concerns in here. Just fill a man in there. But maybe it's even some godly concerns. You know, will my will my children, will my family, will my friends, will they decide to become Christians? You know, will I remain faithful to God until the end? That's a real concern, right? You know, is God really real? That feels weird right now. He's really real. Is God real? <clears throat> um, but why will my neighbors, family, friends respond when I share about Him? You know, will God accept me if I do or don't do something? Whatever your something is. Can I do this? You know, God will really God really like me, trust me, take me in if I if I if I'm still this sort of person. You know, why do I keep on sinning when I know the right thing to do? These are hard things. You know, I, I myself have had some hard things in the past few years. You know, things for me that were the, the scary mud of my life. You know, you know, Jeanette and I we lost her mother. And her brother uh, in the last year or so. Um, I lost two of my brothers in the last several years. Um, um, you know, I've had divorces and death of spouses and extended family. You know, <coughs> after moving up here uh, and persuading folks that it was going to be okay to work remote before the pandemic in Burlington, I lost my job and had to go look for another one and persuade them that you could actually work remote and travel from Burlington, Vermont. As you sat there and watched the money you'd saved sort of go away, you know, you're burning it out. It's like, oh, I hope somebody will, I hope this will really work out somehow. You know, having health issues with my kids. Um, you know, having friends struggle, our friends struggle with their faith in God. You know, and I don't share those sorts of things for sympathy. Um, well, that's nice at times, but it's it's really, I think, so we can all relate together that we all have hard stuff. <clears throat> we all have things that really impact us. And you know, I think it's 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 interesting because Jesus also had hard stuff. Yeah. You know, it says that during his earthly life, Christ offered both requests and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his devotion. 
NIV says, reverent submission. He's devoted to God. <clears throat> Jesus certainly had this stuff. <clears throat> you know, he had all all the things that we've experienced and more. In fact, it says that nothing we have is is it's, it's common. You know, I mean, everybody's got it. <clears throat> but Jesus had it as well. He had loud cries and tears. Now, I, I just think of Jesus. If anybody did not need to pray, in my you know, in my uh, uninformed opinion. Um, it would be Jesus. He's God in the flesh. You know, he, God listens to him. It says in Luke, everything that Jesus said was exactly what God wanted him to say. He did not sin. He did not mess up. He did not ride in the mud or on gravel, and he wasn't afraid of bridges. You know, none of that stuff. But it says that he he had loud cries and tears to God. He opened up his heart. You know. He was not fired up, I think, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do I really have to drink this cup? Do I really have to go to the cross? Right. You know, Hebrews says that he endured it you know, for the joy set before him. He was open with his heart to God. He had a relationship with God where he could open it and say, this is how I really feel. This is what's going on. This is what's really hitting me. So I'll look over in Mark, um, Mark 9. And... Um, read it. It says, when, when they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. Now, they came to the disciples because they'd been up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus and Peter and John and James, right? <clears throat> Two brothers, John and James and, and Peter. I call them the A-team. They're the A-team. You know, the B-team, <clears throat> the rest of the guys is down there, and what are they doing? You know, they're arguing with the teachers of the law about how to heal somebody. <clears throat> and so they've been up on the mountain uh, getting just insight from God that Jesus is not just Elijah or Moses. He's greater than Elijah or Moses. Okay, so that's a setting. <clears throat> so they come down, they saw a large crowd, and around them, and experts in the law arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran at once and greeted him. He asked them, what are you arguing about with them? A member of the crowd said to him, Teacher, I brought my son, who is possessed by a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. Oh, just tell me when I'm past there, and I'll, I'll switch it, because I don't want to keep looking over my shoulder. I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they were not able to do so. He answered them, you unbelieving generation, how much longer must I be with you? How much? I can switch it? Okay. Awesome. How much longer do I be with you? You unbelieving generation, how much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I endure you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been, this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It's often thrown him into fire to, or water to destroy him. But if you're able to do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Then Jesus said to him, if you are able, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. So pause here for a second. So he came to the came to the town looking for Jesus. Jesus was hard to find. He was up on the mountain with the A-team. He finds the rest of Jesus' disciples, 
And you know, they're like, this is this is not it's not working. You know, we tried to make it work and it's not working. And so Jesus comes back and he jumps right into it. He's right there, ready to help. And I think we all would admit if we had a son or a daughter who was constantly trying to hurt themselves and throw themselves into the fire or into the water, um, we would be at, at a loss. We would be asking for help from the Messiah as well. We'd be there and we would make that journey. And so he, he gets there with Jesus and, and says, you know, can you just do something? Can you just do something? You know, I wrote down here, he says, can you have compassion on us? Is that what it says? And can you, I said, can you help us get her done? Can you just do something? Something. And Jesus goes, something? I can do anything. God can do anything. And the, and the man said, you know, have you ever prayed something, said something, shared something, and well, well that wasn't very spiritual. That wasn't very faithful. Uh, and so the guy was feeling, and he was called on the carpet by, by God who said, you know, I can do anything and uh, to those who believe. And he said, help, forgive me, help me in my unbelief. Have you ever prayed, you know, I've been praying this recently, just, God, help me to believe what you said. It's harder, you know, I, you know, can you say, I honestly, I don't believe you. I don't believe all of this. I believe most of it. I don't believe all of it. I don't believe it on the 0.4%, the 0.1%. I'm having a hard time believing that you're really here. And you're really with me. And you're really walking with me. When I'm in the, when I'm on the easy stuff, when I'm smelling sunflowers, when I'm looking at the mountains on a nice day, no problem. When I'm up to my neck in the mud, when I'm dealing with issues in my family, when I'm looking at my own heart, uh, this is the hard stuff. I need your faith. I need help. I need help here getting through this. I need to be able to communicate that to God because I really need Him at this moment in time. And then as we finish out this passage, um, what did we get before? Now, when Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. It shrieked, threw him into terrible convulsions, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, He is dead. But Jesus gently took his hand raised him to his feet, and he stood up. Then after he went into the house, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? He told them, this kind can come out only by prayer. In other early manuscripts say by prayer and fasting. Um, you know, it's Jesus, he, he's fully healed. He says the demon went out, and he never came back. Now, I think even if you think about like just dealing with sin we struggle with, it's hard to believe sometimes that I'm going to be able to repent of this challenging, lifelong sin and have it never come back. You know, because if you're like me, you've got the 99% faith about repentance. Yeah, I believe, I know it works. It's worked for me for a while, or most of the time on the beautiful days. But then all of a sudden the mud comes, the bridges come, the hard stuff comes, and it comes back. And I have a hard time believing that I really can overcome this, that I can really change, that I can really be different, that I can really be what God wants me to be. And we can just do what this man did. God, help me in my unbelief. I'm just going to be real about it. I have a hard time making that step, God. 
that's what I want to talk about with you. That's what I want to pray about. Is how am I talking with God about the hard stuff? You know, you look at this passage, the disciples go, we couldn't do it. What was different? And he said, well, it's prayer and fasting. And you're going, well, you didn't pray about this. You didn't fast about this. And as I'm reflecting on it, on the Mount of Transfiguration, he meets with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. If you realize, well, Jesus, he, he fasted for 40 days. Elijah fasted for 40 days. Oh, yeah, Moses fasted for 40 days without bread or water three times. And so, what's that about? What's about a spiritual relationship with God, a reliance on God? And we'll, we'll go back there in a minute. But you remember in the Lord's Prayer, it says, give me this day my daily bread. Well, what if bread isn't bread? But what if bread is, is spiritual sustenance, spiritual lifting up from God? Because God wants to lift us up on the 99% and in the mud and on the bridges and all the hard stuff. He's committed to taking care of us, to meeting our needs when we get into those things. <clears throat> and am I, I mean, all of us have things to cry about. All of us have things to shed tears about. All of us have things that we really want God to show up in our lives about. And that's really the things we need to be taking to him in prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, really, if you trust God for the, the hard stuff, all that other stuff's fine. Like, God really wants you to open up, just like when you're in a relationship or when you have children or you have parents. You really want to talk about the hard stuff. Like, these, that's good. You know, it's fun. It's, it's fun to talk about the fun stuff, too. But you really want to be open and vulnerable about the things that are really challenging for you, you know. And when I, you know, when I ask myself, you know, my next point is, do I really believe? Do I really believe? You know, does God hear my prayers? Does he want to hear from me? Do I want to talk to him? Am I waiting for his response? Let's go back to Luke 11. Let's talk about it a bit. So he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. And you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend? Lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine has stopped here while on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Then he will reply from the inside, Don't bother me. The door is already shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though the man inside will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of the man's first man's sheer persistence, he will get up, and give him whatever he needs. Not what he wants, but whatever he needs. So it just struck me. So Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And the first thing we hear about is it's the next day. I mean, maybe not by the Jewish calendar, but it's the next day. And I need bread. I have somebody showed up on the road. It's just a thing in my culture to take care of travelers. It's really bad if I don't. I probably should have made extra bread, but I didn't. <clears throat> so now I'm going to go and ask my friend. And the friend is like, no, I'm not. But because I'm persistent, because I push through, because I really go after it, then he's going to fulfill that. So he goes on, though, in the passage here. And he says, so I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For, whoever, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead of a fish. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. 
if you then, although you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I think it's interesting that you know, it goes from, from bread, you know, and going to the neighbor and, and knocking. You know, and, and I know it, I was thinking about this this morning. Knocking is sort of like an old people's thing. Like today we've got ring doorbells. Like you don't have to push my doorbell. My watch buzzes when you walk to my house. Like you didn't have to knock. But if you think back, before we even had those things, you, you had to bang on the door hard. If somebody was in the basement, they only had to banging on the door. Bam, 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 bam. And, you know, if you really wanted to get somebody, especially if they were old or slow, you had to bang for a long time. First for them to hear you, and then for them to get to the door. So we understood this idea of knocking. It's very different than, you know, and, and even, go, go, you have a little Bible study, just reach out and knock in the Bible. It's four or five times in the New Testament. And you think about it, it's just that idea of being persistent. Well, I'm willing to go bang on your door. In fact, I'm willing to seek. You know, some people think that this passage, at seek, knock, is just three aspects of praying. Uh, maybe. Um, but when I look at the word seek um, in Luke, uh, it was used when Jesus was lost for three days. And it says that you know, Mary and Joseph were, were seeking him. They were looking for him. They were trying to find him for three days. Imagine your child gone, 11, 12 years old, uh, an Emmett, and he's gone for three days on a family trip you know, to Boston. Uh, you might say that you were actively seeking him, actually looking for him actually trying to find him. And you think about it, you know, it's like, you know, Jesus gives us an example, and he says, you know, for his friend, wasn't John 15, Jesus said, we are his friends. He wants to help us if you do what I command, says in John 15. He really wants us to be persistent in going after God and really digging into it and really not just asking, but now that you've asked, with faith, really go and seek. Really go after and go do what you've asked God to do. Go and, and find the answer that he's laid out for you. Go knock on those doors. They won't always be open. Uh, they might be closed. But when you pray and really seek after it, you get a chance then for God to come through in ways that you can't, you could not imagine him responding to. It's really amazing. <clears throat> so I just want to wrap up here in a minute. Sue's going to come and share some stories of, a faithful prayer, but for me, it, it really, you know, for me personally, a time now of just digging in much deeper into my prayer life, time to really go after it, and when I start to think about this idea of I can, I can really take my heart, the things that I'm, I'm really struggling with understanding of, to God, and that he's willing to give me answers back, to really communicate with me, to have a heart-to-heart relationship with God, it's really exciting. You know, I think of times in the past we're really gone after, like, like I was praying this week about, well, what do you ask God for? Like, what's it, what things can you ask God for? What things is it okay to ask God for? And I remember one time living in Beverly in Boston and just praying, you know, we had a small uh, you know, group there, a small Bible study group. We just was praying, you know, God, really have a great impact on this town. Prayed that. We lived there, I think, for six months, nine months or whatever. Eventually, we had a whole, we had 800 people that came all all over Boston to meet there. There still was maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 people in Beverly, but God answered that prayer in a way I never imagined. You know, the building that, that was an abandoned, you know, rat-infested, you know, uh, uninhabited building was rebuilt, and we put a church building in there. And so God answered that prayer in a way that I never had imagined. 
you know, he helped people become Christians in Beverly, even after I moved, who then their children became Christians, and then their children became Christians. And so that prayer, I had no idea what I was asking for. You know, it said, Princess Bride, you have no idea what that means. <laughs> and to me, it just really makes me excited as we pray that God is going to continue to deliver on the faithful prayers that we bring to him if we ask and seek and not. really fantastic. I think the biggest thing was thinking about how much Jeanette had to pray while you were on that trip. <laughs> um, Pete asked me to share just about how relying on prayer has changed my life and I get so emotional in this thing about all the times that God's come through for me. So anyway, but it was interesting about three months ago, Kenzie found this journal of mine. I don't know how it ended up in Atlanta, but it was this little skinny journal and it was, uh, it was a journal actually Steve gave me back in 1987, we were dating, and um, this little Japanese journal. And uh, she, I go, did you read it? She goes, yeah, I read the whole thing. <laughs> I don't like when she like she tried to steal a couple of my other journals. I'm like Ken, you can't take those journals. Anyway, she just like she goes, I just love your like little heart towards God. It was like it was just that reminder of like staying God's kid because it was a it was a journal that was when um, Steve broke up with me, and uh, it was like. Me coming home on the plane after I went to go meet Steve in um, San Francisco. He was coming from Tokyo and I was coming from Boston. And I was just wrecked because I'm like, how could all my prayers be he's the one and his prayers, I wasn't the one. How could you do that? Why would you set me up to fail, God? I just remember coming home. And I literally am on the plane and the woman next to me, I was in the middle seat and the, there's a guy and girl next to me and I literally just grabbed their hands and cried for like the first hour and a half of the flight. <laughs> They're like, get it out, honey. Um, but anyway, I remember writing in that journal and one of the things that I came to the conclusion of is Father Knows Best. And that was like such an important part of my prayer life back then was like, why is this happening? It's like, Sue, trust God knows best. So it's either someone better than Steve the new improved Steve, <laughs> but it, but the kind of the heart after praying and journaling was Father knows best, like right. He knows what's best for me, and that really really helped me in my young faith. You know, praying has really helped me let my faith be the boss of my feelings. I'm not if people if you know me, I'm not really feelings oriented, but no, um, you know I am. But it puts me in that space and reminder that God is bigger than my my feelings and my circumstances. And kind of I remember that passage so often when it was like, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. When Jehoshaphat prays that, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You know, when Nick went to Kenya um, to go into the Mukuru slums with hope, there was a lot of uh, stuff that had just happened in Kenya the month before. And I just remember just going, oh, God, just, just how hard it was to wrestle to trust you as as uh, I'm like, why do you have to go to Kenya? You know, just these feelings of like, please take care of him. Just the wrestling match that, you know, you can't look for a phone call from him 
where you rely on like him getting to a certain place and then you can trust God. Oh, okay, he got there. Instead of relying on God through the whole process of maybe I won't even hear from him, but trusting I can go to sleep because God is in charge of my son and he loves him more than me. You know, I remember getting this call from Kenzie um, her junior year in, um, at UMass, and she's like, I failed two of my nursing classes. I'm not even going to be able to graduate with Winnie. And I remember I was writing in my journal, a lot of my prayers are, I journal a lot, but I remember writing, God, I can't believe you didn't answer my prayer about Kenzie, that she would just pass these two classes. She's such a good kid. Come on. And just being so mad at him. And then the result was she went back to both of these teachers to um, to um, see what she could do. And the woman was like, Kenzie, go check your grade again. And it was like 0.5 of what she needed to pass this class. Like all these kind of miracles happened, but me with my feelings wanting to be the boss and let instead of letting God be the boss has helped me so much. You know, I think about 1 Corinthians 10 that God is so faithful that when I'm tempted to freak out, to stress out, to sin, that he always provides uh, a way out and just holding on to that faith when I pray that, no, God promises there's a way out for me. Just prayer has been just the gift that my father has given me to come home, that no matter where I'm at, and I've moved about 20, I think our, our next move will be my 25th move since I left Westfield, Massachusetts to go to college. In oh, wow. 40 years, I've moved 25 times. And I was just thinking about how no matter where I've moved physically, God is constantly both, you can set your heart at rest in my presence, Sue, but also I can be the prodigal daughter and go back to him when I'm feeling lonely or I've blown it and I've gone through stuff. You know, he's right. been real home for me in a safe place with losing my brother this year mm-hmm. in places I've never had to go home to him for. Yeah. And I'm really, really meaningful. Um, but I love that, just that God is my presence my ever-present help has been amazing. Um, um, I was thinking how, wow, like, praying with friends, especially these last couple of years, has been, like, unspeakably bonding. Like, I remember Janetta one day, I was in fellowship with her, and she's like, how are, how are your mother, how's your mother doing, how's your brother doing? And I just, I couldn't speak, and she just grabbed me and grabbed two other women, and we just prayed right in the middle of the room while everything was going on around us. I think of all the prayer walks I've gone with different people, especially prayer walks with my children and being able to pray with my granddaughter this last couple of months. Just like just the honor to pray with friends and family and just how powerful that has been. I think about praying in color, you know, that you know, that you're praying in that space of just believe you received it, like already being able to already envision it happening and how many times I've been able to watch that happen and become a reality. And of course it makes me think of Ephesians three of just God created everything, but we're the only ones he created with an imagination, and that he, that, you know, we get to imagine in Ephesians 3 how many times I've been able to ask God and, and imagine things and go to the dreamer to still see let my life through that lens of dreaming instead of um, negativity. And I was, I had written down here, change, when I pray, it changes my lens, lens from whoa to whoa like I just a different perspective or when I pray it's helped me to go from a place of uh, Elijah going I'm the only one left to I'm the only one left let's go you know me and God and I've been in that space a lot when I was single or other times in my life going those things have really helped me when I spend time with him he changes my lens he changes my focus um I think what Peter said today is probably the most meaningful one that praying daily um just that I get to cast and thank, you know, God is a lot of my daily 
that's why I love fishing, but a lot of how I think about prayer is I cast all my anxieties out on the first half of our walk, and I thank God for what he's given me on the way back, and it's really helped me stay stay grateful. And um, also, it's also helped me have calm in the chaos of life because it is a reminder that each day has enough trouble of its own. So today, daily, I'm going to focus on today and be present with God because he is the air that I get to breathe and walk with him. That's what prayer really is. And then praying specifically, like throughout my life, I've just kind of watched. And sometimes they, the, the specific prayers don't come back until like 10 years later. I'm like, oh my gosh. And other times they've come back and I'm sitting there about to baptize someone. I'm like, wait, are you wait, are you a sophomore? Because I prayed a year ago that that I would study with someone who's a sophomore or sorority girl, because that's all you thought about at UCLA was sororities, like, because I'm a Boston girl, like, oh, sororities. But the first person I study would be blonde. They're all blonde, right, in California? <laughs> that she'll be a sophomore at a sorority, and, like, I'm baptizing her. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, just but so many specific prayers, you know, praying to meet a lot of famous people, and so many things opened up from telling Magic Johnson, you want to see some real magic, you need to come to my church. Like, I got to... Because I prayed specifically, Christianity became so much more of an adventure because I was praying for something to happen. Mm-hmm. And um, being in that space, praying for someone to have a Patriot shirt on when I lived in California. And so if I saw some of the Patriot shirt on, I'm going to reach out to them. They become Christians. Like Just so many wonderful opportunities to pray specifically. Specifically mm-hmm. with the kind of, um, we were at Mackenzie and Sam's rehearsal, and uh, their rehearsal lunch before their wedding. And Steve got up and said, I prayed for two things my whole life with Kent. You know, the two things was that this guy would be a man of character and he would love her to pieces. And you're like, wow, that's specific prayer. And like, we got to witness it on August 20th because he's, uh, he's so that. Uh, but how much specific praying has really changed my life and reminded me that. And then, you know, I've been praying in my journals that one of the things that comes up over and over again for the last 16 years is I've always prayed to write a book to Kenzie, that it's kind of my legacy of faith to her. And Shelby helped me, and I got to give Mackenzie this book that I wanted to write for 16 years, 220-page published book that I, got, that I got to give Kenzie the night before she got married. But just like going like, well, I prayed that I would do it, but I didn't think it would take 16 years to actually do it and see it come to fruition. So that was really amazing. And lastly, I feel like what I've learned the most recently is praying has really helped me gaze at God and glance at myself instead of gaze at myself, which is pretty depressing if you just gaze at yourself and all your issues and and really just gaze at me. I mean, glance at me and gaze at the big God. And and what it's really led to is a lot of praising of God. And I think think I'm a pretty thankful person, but I think I've really gotten to a place of being a person that really worships and praises God more and in that space where he is in charge and I get to worship him. And um, so that's really helped me so much. And so, you know, I just hope, you know, what we're going to do right now is pray because we have the incredible privilege to do it 24-7. So we're just going to pray for communion. And thank you, Jesus, for basically making access that we could pray to God so freely. It didn't have to be in a temple. It didn't have to be near holy people, holy water, that he literally allowed us to be able to have full access 24-7 as our big brother. Let's pray. God, thank you for the incredible honor, God, that, Father, you you want us to have total access to you. You want us to live in this, in this world and have the empowerment of your spirit in our lives that you want to unleash on us because you want us to give us the supernatural um, 
gift of, of growing in our faith and all the things that in, in our love, all the things that are kind of in our, our hearts, that the eyes of our hearts can be enlightened. And God, thank you for the privilege of prayer. And as Peter alluded to, thank you that Jesus was willing to pray in the garden and, and go through what he did and, and have the courage and the strength to go through what he did so we could be the recipients of uh, being able to be in your presence and walk with you and have that incredible honor. Thank you for him. We're so thankful for Jesus. I pray that none of us ever forget just an honor and privilege it is to follow him. I pray you continue to help us to know that um, that he is with us and Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever and that he wants to work in our lives and walk with us and put his arm around us and um, be real close to us in every way we could imagine 24-7. God, we love you. Thank you for that incredible privilege and for the honor to be, to be yours. And it's your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.